everyone. Welcome to the Engage and Equip podcast. This is a resource designed to help form substantive disciples for the local church. My name is Nicole Kyle, and I'm one of the hosts of this podcast. Uh, The episode that you're about to listen to is one of our Escaping Babel episodes, and it's part of the mini-series we're doing on friendship. So this is the second episode, and one of the things we really wanted to make sure we talked about was what does it look like to pursue friendship in the context of a multicultural church? Because when you have that setting, not everyone is going to have shared life experiences or uh, backgrounds or common interests, and sometimes even not a common language or first language. And so we wanted to talk about some of the challenges related to that and also some of the blessings that come with that. So we hope that you enjoy listening and we hope that you find it really helpful in your context. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Engage and Equip podcast. We just, uh, this is the second episode in the Escaping Babel series on friendship. And uh, we have myself, I'm Nicole, I'm the worship director at High Point. We have Manohar. Yeah, my name is Manohar. I'm one of the ministers at High Point. Yes. And uh, yeah, and I'm so glad to be with you this, mo- this morning. Yeah. Yeah. And we have Nick. Hello. That's Nick for you. Since we are going to talk about specifically multi-ethnic friendships, yes. people may want to know the ethnic identity of the people here. I am traditionally considered white. I have, I have Italian immigrant mom and a kind of British-German nativist father side that goes back to the Mayflower. So I'm first generation, second generation from an immigrant. I have a first generation immigrant mom and a from the Mayflower nativist white dad side. Yep. And uh, I, my dad came to the U.S. from Mexico. My mom is uh, white American. Her mom is from England. Her dad was very Irish and German. So I come from multiple cultures in my background. Yeah, I am actually from India and my wife is from India. And I have two kids. They are growing up here. They are born here. So they will face some challenges in future. But uh, we are prepared for that. And uh, now I see a little bit. Uh, differences within myself as I try to acquaint with the cultures right here. Yeah, one of the things to say about Manohar is, you know, for us in Madison, people say, I'm from India, and people go, oh, like it's one country, right? Right. But (laughs) Manohar and his wife aren't even from the same state, right? and their first language isn't even the first language. So they speak to each other. The same, in their, it's two different, you're each yeah, of your, fr- okay. Two Tamo different languages. Yeah. Telugu. Telugu. Yeah. They, mm-hmm. once, so Jasmine is from a place where they speak Tamil, right? Yes, right. And Manohar from t- a place they speak Telugu. And so at first you guys spoke Hindi and right. then English. We, yeah, we spoke in English and then Hindi. and Man. Diff- yeah, yeah, right. But she still doesn't know Telugu, right? And she A little bit, she a understands. Bit. Yeah. You know a little Tamil? Yeah, I know Tamil. Yeah, and I can wh- understand and talk. And what bit. about your sons? They're kind well, of understanding that languages, but they cannot speak at the moment because they are growing with other white kids here and okay. dominant Their language. Their English is good, though. Yeah, language is good. So Especially yeah. Jonathan's English. Yeah, you're young. He's like six months old, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So anyway, I just want to clarify because sometimes in America we think, oh, India, it's this one place. But sociologically speaking... You could easily argue India is more diverse than the United States. It certainly has a lot of intercultural turmoil, mm-hmm. lots of many more languages to reckon with than America, and so on. So it's he's from a very a very culturally diverse place and had to struggle a lot with multi ethnic friendships because Manohar is Indian, but he's 
he is of a racial group in India that right. is not the preferred <laughs> one among the Christians, mm-hmm. mm. which is Kerala's, which is the very southern tip of India. And mm-hmm. so not being himself from Kerala, being in the Christian movement in India, he really felt like he was on the outside a lot. Is that fair? Yeah, I, uh, that's true. Actually, in India, we have uh, 29 states. But uh, three states really brag themselves to be proud of their language, their culture, Hmm. uh, their backgrounds, like Bengal. Uh, You know, they kind of pride themselves about their language. And then Kerala, you know, they say, yeah, we are the people who have the best education in the country. And then Maharashtrians, they pride themselves about their language. So then they see everybody else as a little bit lower than them. Mm Mm-hmm. In some ways, so we always have to fight that, you know, uh, when we are kind of crossing our state and going and talking to different people of different languages, we always have these things. So I came through lots of challenges of that kind in last 25 years. How long have you been living in the United States now? Uh, for about 10 years. Okay. That's probably helpful too, to know. Yep. Okay. So context wise. Yes. So we had recorded an episode already. Hopefully you've listened to it already. The, uh, the first friendship episode in Escaping Babel. And we were talking a little bit about some of just an idea, kind of a, just a broad idea of what friendship is. Um, and we've, we want to have a couple more episodes of some of the barriers to that, how to overcome those barriers. And we entered into that. And one of the things that came out of that uh, we talked a good deal about uh, C.S. Lewis's book, The Four Loves, and in that he talks about friendship and how it's friendship it comes around a shared interest or truth, and it's the love that you get to choose. And as a result of that, we, we did want to talk a little bit more about what that looks like, though, in the context of specifically for us, High Point Church, where we're in a, we're trying to grow as a church that's multicultural that's hospitable to people of different backgrounds and so how do you pursue friendship in that when not everybody in your church is going to be somebody that you have shared experiences or shared interests with and do you do you do you get to choose that should you go beyond just who it's easy to have a friendship with because you have the same background or experiences so we wanted to talk a little more about that Mm -hmm. i think actually first of all i wanted to talk about how people tend to dismiss the idea of multicultural thing in the church because they think when we come to the church we should not have something like multicultural we all should have christ culture kingdom culture but they forget the importance of uh, differences uh, culturally anthropologically that we need to accept each other as we are Mm-hmm. But they just fail to see the dynamic of that difference. And they try to live out their own culture. And then they try to equally dismiss the idea. So that's where the conflict happens. So you know, how, how would you... So, f- for example, um, some people might say... And I've heard of this actually like at a high point elder meeting, right? Okay. We don't... I mean, we don't need to be multi-ethnic. We need to focus on Jesus. Mm. And if we focus on Jesus well... Anybody of any culture can come to Jesus. And on one level, I agree with that. But on another level, like it's also kind of functionally naive because mm-hmm. for a couple of reasons, what would if somebody said to you, uh, we just need to focus on Christ, what would be the first couple things you would tell somebody to try to 
expand their view of that a little bit. Yeah, I think uh, multicultural or multi-ethnic simply means we don't have to become like somebody to get accepted in that community. Mm-hmm. Because we have seen it across the centuries when the west went to the east, they tried to push their culture on somebody to get them into their culture. Mhm. So it bounced back, you know, several people said, we can't just accept the culture. Culture is, you know, sometimes God created them, you know, you know, when people spread around the globe. So, yeah. uh, so we all have different way of growing up, different way of thinking, different way of grasping things. So if you really want to communicate to me, and sometimes you have to understand my mindset. Yeah. so you should mm-hmm. come to the way of understanding yes there is a different way of understanding things yeah mm-hmm. do you think then so there's a couple ways that you could try to say why that is one i think is to say there is no such thing as an unencultured person there's nobody without a culture so there's no such thing as like a person who's going to plant a church and the culture is going to be totally just Jesus. Neutral, yeah. Right? right, because the minute you plant the church, you're going to speak a language, mm-hmm. right? And the minute you choose a language, you're going to move towards some people and away from other people, right? right. And then you're going to decide what time of day the service is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're going to move towards some people away from you. Like, every choice you make is going to have is going to be embedded in a certain set of practices and value sets. Mm. Right. And those are very culturally embedded, right? right. And if you say, well... This this is the this is a really good way to do it. My cultural values are correct. So then you look at the other cultural values that you're comparing it to, and it's not obvious mm. that they're wrong mm-hmm. and that you're right. It's just obvious that different values have been used as the deciding value mm. in that given behavior, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, for a great example of this would be in a lot of white churches. Uh, worship services are 85 minutes or less. Mm-hmm. I know. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah. <laughs> In India, that's not the case. No, we go In, three hours and we don't look at the time. Uh, right. We don't look at... Uh, There's no countdown clock telling right, you when to right. yeah, It's surprising to me when people yeah. just walk away from the church just because five minutes over the sermon time. Oh, yeah. And, you know, it's culturally different. One of me. the worst letters I ever got, like reading me the riot act for how terrible a person I was, was when I preached for 20 minutes at a funeral service. Wow. (laughs) And the person just couldn't get their head around a pastor speaking for more than 12 minutes. And he, and you could tell, I mean, this guy in his eighties and you could just tell to him, this was not cultural. Sure. To him, this was a fundamental reality of human existence. That if you talk about anything for more than 10 minutes, It could be for no other reason than self-importance mm. right. and just simple arrogance. When I was in college, I was a part of a campus ministry called Crew, and I went on an overseas mission trip. And on this trip, before anyone went overseas, we had some training, and some of it was cultural. And one of the things that I can remember, Candace Seward, just saying over and over and trying to ingrain in us is when you go to this country there will be things that you think are wrong Hmm. they are not wrong 
by definition. Like there might be some things, but you need to check first. Like, is it just me being uncomfortable? And I don't think I realized at the time how important that was to be able to talk to people about Mm. Jesus. (laughs) Because if I went in and I just saw everything that they were doing was wrong because it was different from what I was used to, Mm. that would have really impacted the way that I related to them and whether or not they would want to hear anything I had to say or the things that I would say, you need to change this or this or Mm -hmm. whatever. And that was... That was really important to hear, especially for cross-cultural relationships. Yeah, I think we need to understand things on the other side just look different. They're not, they not wrong. But sometimes our mind says anything that doesn't fit in our comfort zone is like, you know, something has to do with wrong and mm-hmm. they're not right. They need to really work on our way rather than we right. work our way to the Yeah, to okay, so just to clarify, because, you know, I'm like Mr. Yes. When you guys say that, I think you guys both mean that in the general sense. Yeah. I don't think any of us take the view that all culture is good. And right. therefore That's other what cultures I mean. are all good. Yeah. And therefore what other people do must be good. What we're saying right. is if you're from your own culture, culture A, and you interact with culture B, mm-hmm. there are going to be things that are different that you're going to notice. Right. Your immediate emotional response is going to be, that's wrong. Mm-hmm. Mm. And you should not listen Right. To that immediate emotional response. Right. You should say, that seems wrong. What don't I understand? Mm. And then you should try to figure out what you don't understand. And sometimes you can't approach it directly and just say, hey, you guys, this seems wrong. <laughs> What's wrong with you? Mm-hmm. What don't I understand? Sometimes they won't. Because in some cultures, giving people a straight answer is Rude. Rude. <laughs> <Right. Yeah. laughs> well, I think like an I example. Let me give you a quick example. Yeah, yeah. I was working with this um, Indian leader from Kerala and I said to him, I'm going to ask you a question. Will you tell me the truth? Will you give me a true and direct answer if I ask you this question? He said, yes. I asked him the question. He lied to my face. <laughs> Well, I mean, from my perspective, he lied, right? And I think technically you could say he lied, but I think you could argue in his culture, I put him in an impossible situation Mm. because he absolutely could not tell me a direct answer. Mm -hmm. And I forced him into a situation where I demanded he give me a direct answer. Mm -hmm. So in his culture, I put him in an unwinnable situation. Yeah. And so... I thought I thought I had like gotten through because I was like, okay, listen, I know how Indian leaders like this are. They're not going to want to be straight with me. So if I so, give them the chance. So I'm going to tell yeah. them to be straight with me mm-hmm. and that'll fix everything. Right. And, it and it didn't fix yeah. everything. It made it worse. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I, the example that I thought of was time, how you value time. So yeah. for one, when I went on this trip, I was specifically going to Uruguay and the value of time there was you're going to value the time um, that you currently are, the mm-hmm. person that you're with right now. So if yeah. you're talking to a student and they have class that's starting, they, they're probably not going to go to class if they're enjoying talking to you because they're valuing mm-hmm. that time with you right there. Or they're going to be late to their next appointment because they're valuing the time with you right there. Versus what you experience a lot on campuses in the U.S. would be if you're talking to a student and they've got another appointment, they're mm-hmm. going to value what's coming next because mm-hmm. they're going to say, I'm going to be on time to that next thing. I'm going to end this conversation. Mm-hmm. Now, to to some, it, you could easily say, well, one values being on time and the other doesn't care about it. <laughs> when it, what it really was with our, the students we were working with was they just valued current versus future time differently. And so we had to think it's not wrong. It's not wrong. It's just they're 
placing their value in a different spot. And in that culture, not showing up for your other appointment wasn't considered breaking your word. Right. Because the other person didn't hold that expectation. Mm -hmm. Whereas for me, I would be like, oh, I got to go because I told this person I would be there. I have to, it's not that I don't value this or I value that more. It's just, I have to keep my word. Mm -hmm. Right. And some of this, I see this in cultures that you can have two cultures that let's say their top five values are all the same. Mm-hmm. But one numbers the hierarchy of those values one, two, three, four, five. In culture B, the hierarchy is one, three, two, four, five. Mm-hmm. And you can get huge disagreements and misunderstandings mm-hmm. between those two cultures just because those two values are just kind of flipped in their priority. And so, so for example, in India, certain places in India, not being rude to somebody in a position of authority and being supportive of them like is value number two Hmm. and telling people the truth and a straight answer is value number three. It's it's important. You want to be candid, but supporting leadership and not being too direct is, is very important. Right. Hmm. Mm -hmm. And I might come to that. And I believe that not being rude is important. That's in one of my top values, but giving people a straight answer. Well, that's a slightly higher value. Hmm. Yeah. So Manohar and I can have the same top five values. Right. But because his value three, like mm. my value three is his value number two. And mm. because my value number two is his value number three, we can get sideways with each other. And then what I've, I've seen this in the church, people say, oh, that Manohar, James, he's not an honest man. He's mm. not a good minister. Mm. Like they start cutting each other down and it leads to mistrust. Right. Mm. In my experience in multicultural church and multicultural ministry cooperation, mm. trust is everything. Yeah. yeah. And it builds so slow Mm. that misunderstanding just can undo so much so fast Mm. that you have to really be awake of the fact that we're all working from a culture. Mm -hmm. Because the other second thing, so the first thing I would say to somebody who said, well, we'll just be the culture of Jesus is A, what that means is you'll be the majority culture. Mm. Because you are embedded in a culture. Human beings create cultures. That's how we figure out what to do. And so you may take a certain set of values and form that into a culture, but you have the culture. Hmm. The second thing I would say is this, the priorities and truth of Jesus can be contextualized into a lot of different cultural manifestations. There's you, I could imagine a thousand cultures that are the cultures of Christ that are very different from each other. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. And so yeah. that's what happens even right. with churches and Christians, much less people of different languages and cultures mm-hmm. is they produce these different cultures mm-hmm. and they are similarly Christian, but still very different. And in, they can easily be in conflict mm-hmm. with each other. Right. Right. Based on how you value things and how those values work out in your, in your rituals, your cultural mm-hmm. rituals. I think people, acknowledge the differences in cultures but the thing that they subconsciously struggle often is how superior they are in compared to other cultures it's like Mm. we always compare each person in our talents in our preaching or in our uh, articulating things and the same thing happens when we sit with the people of other culture we always evaluate how better we are than others, even yeah. the way a person responds to things. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, when I respond to a particular thing, I might be responding from my cultural 
uh, upbringing mm-hmm. and now yeah. when someone is slowly responding we think he's slow of mind mm-hmm. <laughs> and we think we are better because we have all these things set up from early childhood mm-hmm. but whereas in your cultures you don't have those things you are dumb <laughs> so we will dismiss that in our mind itself so i think our mindset has to change that people operate differently and their response doesn't indicate they are less than us our culture yeah, yeah. so how have the two of you each of you and i i can share some too if i think of any but like how have you seen these things impact your friendships as you've tried to build them cross culturally among the church. Yeah, so for the audience, Manohar and I have been friends since 2003. Yeah. Um and for those who were at High Point last Sunday, um one of my close intercultural friendships is the pastor named Harold Rayford, an African American pastor. He just got a job in Columbus, Ohio. So he's after I've been friends with him for 7 or 8 years mm-hmm. and he's going to be leaving to go to Ohio and I just won't probably see him very much. Mm-hmm. So that's a friendship I've invested a lot of time and effort in and so was he mm-hmm. that isn't ending but it's just it's not going to be this right. kind of priority in either of our lives it was when he was here so that's the context Manohar and I are talking out of and that I'm talking out of Manohar said numerous almost all of his friendships have had to be inter- intercultural friendships yeah, yeah. In and, you know, and in India even most yeah, of yeah, friendships yeah, in India are them, intercultural right even like when I came here um when we had a graduation week at Asbury Seminary and we had a few people approaching us whether we could accommodate their relatives overnight at our house and uh, one of which was from uh, africa you know somebody coming from africa like we were not prepared for that right mm-hmm. so we better choose a white person to stay Uh, overnight in our house then i went to uh, jasmine and atol told hey why don't we choose this african brother whom we are not comfortable with mm. <laughs> yeah. you know that is the one thing yeah, i don't know how we can adjust that's okay let's try and we actually gave chance to this man from africa who never been to us before he comes and stays in our bedroom and uh I mean, we mingle like within no time yeah. because I have to break that wall of uncomfortability you know like mm-hmm. I'm not comfortable with this guy but I need to break that mm-hmm. so soon we found a common ground mm-hmm. and you know we don't think differently we, we just chatted so much and then we found the Christ culture within us but we have to break that wall of uncomfortability at the moment yeah yeah I think I think when Manohar says if we found the Christ culture. Like I think that that's what you need to recognize that you have you're coming from a culture, you're interacting with someone from another culture. You have to have the clash of culture and the work to understanding. Mm. And then you have to very intentionally say, "Okay, what is what do we keep? What do we use? How do we mm. do this?" Because mm-hmm. historically, cultures tend to fuse either over long periods of intermarriage which sometimes happens when hmm. people like slowly drift into different places or war hmm. one culture conquers another one and impresses its main culture on another one and then takes in infusion whatever it likes from the other culture hmm. the most famous example of that was rome taking over greece hmm. but greece culturally conquering rome because their culture was richer mm-hmm. but rome was just stronger And so you got Greco-Roman culture, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so that's happened all throughout the world and one in fact one of the reasons why Britain was fairly culturally advanced 
by the time you got to the modern period actually wasn't because of how industrious they were or how good at things they were. It was because the British Isle was conquered so many times. Mm-hmm. Everybody conquered Britain, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. The Norwegians conquered Britain, the Danes conquered Britain, and the French conquered Britain, and the Romans conquered Britain, and everybody had conquered Britain. Mm-hmm. And so the cultural fusion in Britain had gone through so many iterations yeah. mm-hmm. that they had built and they had acquired technology and knowledge and culture from all these different peoples. Mm-hmm. Same thing in Israel. Mm-hmm. Israel is stuck yep. right in the middle of three continents. Yeah. And so every army went through Israel. Mm-hmm. And because of all this interaction, Israel's culture advanced. And it was one of the reasons why God stuck his culture right there. Mm-hmm. Because so many cultures would come in a clash in that mm-hmm. region. If there, was a, if there was a divinely informed culture, mm-hmm. then maybe the culture of the kingdom of God could spread into mm-hmm. the other cultures of the world. Does that make sense? Yep. So I think... Once you realize that, you realize that cultures only sort out when they clash. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And all we can right. do is try to make that clash less explosive mm. and learn how to do it. So you, you have to become an ambassador, mm. right? Like mm. you have to understand how does one go from one culture to another, become aware of their own culture, aware of others. Mm. And then I think you can begin to produce a culture of Christ. Mm. But in a diverse city, for example, where you have many different cultures represented in one church, I don't think you ever get to like one culture everybody shares. Mm. Not in our lifetimes. Maybe in our children's 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 lifetime, if human migration slows down a lot, we all live together and intermarry for five generations, maybe mm. there's one culture. Right. Mm. But it's not going to happen in our lifetimes, mm-hmm. I don't think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that the clash and the discomfort, that's been my experience that like, there won't be if you if you don't have a willingness to walk through that and experience that, you'll just do everything you can to avoid it. And so even for me, uh, so my dad is from Mexico, my mom's from the US. There are other, I remember singing at a wedding for some Mm -hmm. friends where it was the same thing. It was, the woman was from the U.S. She had red hair, which my mom also had red hair. And then her husband, who she was marrying, was from Mexico. And I just remember feeling even there, Mm. like, this feels like home for me. Mm. And that didn't feel uncomfortable because I knew that, even though there were multiple cultures. But there are plenty of situations where I feel that discomfort. Mm. And if if we're not willing to go through that, we won't experience the blessing of those relationships because yeah. we'll just run away from them. I think, you know, it's hard uh, to really make multicultural friendships, but it is not impossible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about some of the things that are helpful for that or mm-hmm. some of those types of experiences you've had. Yeah, I think uh, people tend to be afraid of associating with people of other culture because of several things. Sometimes they think they may not be able to communicate properly or they can be misunderstood because they are not talking in a certain way or some people may not be good at friendships. So somehow yeah. they try to avoid. Mm-hmm. They are the last people to choose, you know, because yeah. they themselves cannot. Yeah, some people just find of interacting with anybody hard. right yeah. so, right. so interacting with a multi another ethnicity it's huge yeah. challenge feels like yeah. 10 times worse yeah. right. right there are a lot of people like that mm-hmm. it turns out <laughs> yeah. yeah and that's why you some people who wants to do these things they try to shake hands and then they walk away and they don't take the following steps yeah sometimes they're afraid so they don't look at other person who looks different from them 
and not knowing how that hurts the other person. Yeah. It hurts the other person because they think this guy is not looking at me because I look different. Mm. But it is his personality. Mm-hmm. But they can wrongly interpret that because yeah. uh, they are coming from different expectation. You know, I am uh, a person of different color uh, and everybody should look at me. Everybody should smile at me so that, you know, I feel like comfortable in this. But personalities are different. Mm. So I yeah. think when we are trying to reach people of other culture, other color, other language is to have more patience Mm. Mm -hmm. with people, more patience, more outgoing for others. It's like embodying Jesus, like leaving 99, going after one, Mm. like touching a cultural other, ethnic other means leaving 99, means leaving 99 things that make us comfortable to go after one thing that is not uncomfortable to us. Yeah, And then you know, try to ask more uh, questions about their family, how many children they have, what struggles do they experience, mm-hmm. is there anything they can uh, pray about, you know, those kind of questions they can ask. Yeah. They will be initially challenging, but once they do it, they can do it. I do it that way. I was uh, very ethnocentric when I you know, um, when I was growing up and I was also timid <laughs> and I was uh, introvert and I broke all of them for the sake of Christ and for the sake of the gospel because gospel can transform all our thinking, mm-hmm. all our mindset. Mm-hmm. And, you know, then no more you will feel fear of that. You know, you can walk into any person who is scary and then talk to them and then you see that they are much better place. They are so kind, so nice, mm-hmm. not the way they look outside. So mm-hmm. we can do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I think, um, I can't remember which of you said this in a sermon uh, recently, but one of the things that has stuck out to me, and I've seen this, I see this also, especially in my parents' marriage, um, but and I see it in my marriage with Scott too. I mean, I think this is just true for people in general, but sometimes when you're trying to care for another person or love another person or sustain a relationship with them and you don't understand where they are coming from or why they have the preference that they have, uh, two things. Like one, I think some of it is trying to ask questions and learn more Hmm. about it. And Mm -hmm. you might feel silly. You might think, but I'm going to put my foot in my mouth. I'm going to hurt that other person. Well, yeah, that might happen, but hopefully you can, they can forgive you or you can ask for, or tell them like, I think maybe I feel uncomfortable asking this question, but I don't know how else to say it. And hopefully they'll be gracious with you. Um, But then additionally, like sometimes you won't understand. You won't come to a place where you can personally like feel the feeling that they are feeling or understand the thing that they're expressing. And you just do it because you love them. Like I think my parents, this is really common in Mexico and probably in other countries as well, but where um, children take on a lot of the financial responsibilities of their parents. And so when my dad came to the U.S., he started working here. He wanted to send money back to his mom and to his family. And my mom was like, we, hmm. we're not like rolling in the dough right now. Like we're, they were married young in grad school, had a couple of kids trying to get through all of that. My dad was still saying, well, no, we're going to send this money because this is part of what was really important to his culture. And I think my mom agreed to it for a long time before it became something that she herself also identified with. Yeah. Because it was really important to my dad. 
Yeah, I, I've actually found that in cross-cultural relationships, sometimes it even helps to say, I don't understand why we're doing this. Mm. I wouldn't do this, mm. but we're going to do it your way because mm. we just ought, we're going to do it. So I'm going to submit to you. We're going to do it your way. And hopefully I'll come around or maybe it won't work. I don't know. Mm-hmm. And because you just can't do both. You can't send money and not send money. Right. So I think there's a couple things related to what you said that I think are important. One is that if you become good at reading human beings, that will help you know what sort of question to ask when you don't understand the other person at all. So like if you read when people are scared or if you can tell why people are upset, if you can understand the looks on people's faces and their body language, then you'll at least know when you're making someone Mm. uncomfortable. You'll at least know. And so if you're not perceptive about people universally, you can't use that to help you understand cultures specifically. Mm -hmm. So what I would tell people is as you're young and as you're trying to grow in some of these things, before you even venture into a lot of multi-ethnic stuff, just get better at understanding people, try to read them better, Mm -hmm. understand how they're feeling. And then secondly, Sometimes when people of another culture explain something to you, you won't emotionally and intuitively, morally feel the weight of their argument. Right. Mm. But you can, in your mind, construct a clear and reasonable argument for their position. Mm. Right? So your dad can say, look, we help our parents. Mm. Like our parents impoverished themselves raising us, especially if that's allowed me to immigrate here. We're not very well off, but we're better off than they are. Mm. And so I feel a deep responsibility. Now she might not, your mom might not say, oh yeah, of course. But she might be, she can do if she wants to. In her mind, she can say, that makes sense. From that point of view, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Right? It's consistent. Mm. It, it's compelling within that point of view. And so I understand why you believe that strongly. And I can go along with that. So you, even when you don't feel it yourself, so like I've talked to black friends, like I, I naturally in my feelings am very, I'm not sympathetic to a lot of the arguments made in the black, in bl- the black subculture in America f- for why things are bad in the black community. I'm not sympathetic towards them. I, I tend to think that the blame is put on some of the wrong people in the wrong ways in the wrong proportions. Some of the wrong solutions are proposed. I, I just have my own views about that. And it's not flippant. I've read thousands of pages on it, spent hundreds of hours in conversation, but it doesn't matter when I sit down and talk with a black brother who says, here's what I think is going on. Here's what I think we should do. Here's what I think. Right. And they have a good argument for why they want to do it. And it's different than the way I would analyze it. I can still read him and see how much he believes this see it from his perspective, see the consistency and the validity of his argument in itself and say, okay, then we'll do that. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and so I think you can, I think you can do that. And I think that's the first step to building trust and to try to see things in different ways and to kind of open up your cultural understanding a little bit to become what an old seminary professor of mine said. He said, you want to, over time become more metaculture, mm. metacultural where you understand a number of cultures mm-hmm. and you can move between them, not because you're being oppressed mm. by their dominations of different spheres, mm. but because you don't mind you, you mm. can function easily. You move between them. It's you can love more people and be part of more people's lives. And it, it's not something you hate. It's something right. you willingly condescend to out of love. Uh, it was, it's in 
Loveless talks about that in his book, Dynamics of Spiritual Life, right? The idea of taking off, being able to move your culture like yeah. a piece of armor to remove clothing. it or yeah. clothing. Yeah. You want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I think because one of the things Loveless says is part of growing in Christ is realizing that you are enculturated in a worldly way. Mm. It's because your culture isn't good. Your culture is partly good and partly bad. So right. part of growing up in Christ is realizing what in your culture is bad mm-hmm. and being able to take that off, but also understanding culture well enough to be able to take off part of it, but also wear some of it. And then, and then even to switch back and forth between different cultures. Yeah. And so, but that's part of the discernment process we go through in our own culture. And I think that that's helpful because if I discern in my culture, a number of sinful things, hmm. I'll be less judgmental about Manohar's culture. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I found in almost every culture I've interacted with deeply is that I feel really ashamed of my culture at some point. Right. On some point, they are dealing with something profoundly superior to the way my culture is dealing with it. Even in cases where I, I would much rather be in my culture than theirs, there's still something mm-hmm. that that culture has a profound intuition on that they live out in a disciplined cultural way and it's lost on my culture and it's hurting us. Mm-hmm. And when I see that, I go, I, and I can only see that because Jesus has called me to see what in my culture is sinful. Yeah. Does that make sense? I think every culture has these kind of things like there are evil sides of it and you know, good side of it. And um, so we sometimes don't recognize the evil side in us, and then we always brag about what is good in us. So uh, I think we need to reconcile to that good that is available in every culture and yeah. try to live at peace with everyone, even if they disagree with us in certain areas. Right. And I think some church people really need help, practical help. Mm-hmm. how they can do. It's not like reading a bunch of books on culture will make you automatically like um, ethnically efficient. <laughs> not that yeah. true. I think what they have to do is, to begin from, is try to avoid the personal space in the church when <laughs> they come. And I see lots of distance between each other, you know. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. even if it is the same culture people, why they keep lots of personal distance? It is not possible in India. We have 1.3 billion people. <laughs> we have to stick to each other, uh-huh. and, you know. So even we do not know that person and we are not comfortable, there is no other way we have yeah. that space. Yeah. So in church, you know, look for someone, um, you know, not so comfortable, and he needs love too. And can you be that person to share that love? Go and sit with him and then try to be with that person after the service maybe for five or ten minutes. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't kill the rest of your schedule. Just five, ten minutes on Sunday. Anyway, you go back home, lay down, play with the kids or you have some other program. But just have another ten minutes extra for this cause to spend with the person. Mm-hmm. Usually multicultural people or people of different culture try to hide mm-hmm. within the church. They try to hide amongst so many people. So we have to actively pursue them and go after them. Hello, brother, how are you doing? Mm-hmm. And ask more questions, although they are not comfortable. When they are not looking at you, when they're trying to hide, don't think that they're trying to avoid you. They are, they are, they are naive. They are, they're struggling inside. So they need help to jump and then talk to them 
and give it a try and how that will you know look to you you know mm-hmm. yeah yeah so i think we should get back to the question of friendship and so a couple of weeks ago manohar read a quote from a christian leader from india this was some years back where he said to western leaders so this was this is like a hundred years ago. He said, right, 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 yeah. exactly. Yeah, but he said you came and you brought us civilization, or you brought us like what you wanted to bring your cultural achievements. You did humanitarian things. You told us about Jesus. That was all. Some of that was bad, but a lot of it was good. He said, but what you didn't, but what we want is friendship, right? Mm-hmm. And that's an interesting claim when you think about the conversation we had about Lewis's view of friendship. That friendship was mm-hmm. not a love that you owe anyone. That mm. friendship mm-hmm. is the only love that you don't owe anyone. It's the only love that you can pick for yourself. Mm. And whereas charity is the sacrificial love you you owe your neighbor, mm. and affection is the passion and care that you owe your family mm. or your loved ones, friendship is the only thing that you can choose, right? Mm. And so... That brings up this question, like, do should we give friendship to everyone in Christ? Or sh- can we pick our friendships? And s- even if we know many of them are not, those aren't going to be cross-cultural friendships. And I, I'm not sure what the, 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 that the, that the thing the leader Manohar quoted was saying. I think we're both, both of those quotes use the concept of friendship. I'm not sure they're both saying the same thing. Yeah. Right. I, I think he was saying was there was a depth of interpersonal relationship and collaboration that was absent mm-hmm. between yes. the Indian Christians and the European, yep. you know, British Christians, and that was so evident. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that that difference and that separation, that dividing wall of hostility, was still so powerful. Mm-hmm. And the way the language he used for that was, "You didn't give us friendship." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. And I think that is there's an acceptance that is obligatory. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Whereas I think what Lewis is saying is there's a circle of friends that's relatively small, which is the primary group of people who enrich the happiness of our lives. Mm. And you get to pick those people. And they are people that you connect with mm. based on some shared interest or love or you that you see the world in a similar way. Mm. In fact, Lewis actually says it that way, that like... When another person talks to you about something and you say, oh, you see it the way I see it, hmm. right? Now, if you think of culture as something embeds deeply the way we see the world, hmm. then you could see how people from different cultures might not see things similarly. And mm-hmm. if friendship is binding together with somebody who sees things similarly to you, hmm. then the people you'd want to be friends with would disproportionately not be people of other cultures. And so Lewis's concept of choosing your friendships might have the effect of being hmm. against the practice of being multi-ethnic. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And also I think, you know, multi-ethnic friendships is not to just live at peace in a sanctuary settings, but also we are called to be light and salt, you know, before others. So, you know, there are so many people God is bringing to our doorsteps. And if we do not practice right within our church, we'll not be able to show that love 
to others outside the four walls of the church. Mm-hmm. So I, uh, I think we need to move towards that direction of embodying what Christ would have done in our place if he's attending the church. Yeah. And so uh, I was wondering how, you know, we can show our love to these people by breaking those walls of uncomfort, you know, within ourselves and then invite people to our social groups. You know, I always struggle with this, even when I, you know, come to our own church and I see people, everybody appreciate and talk to me. But rarely people invite me to their weddings. Hmm. Rarely people invite me to their marriages. And rarely people invite me to their funerals. And who do you invite to those important social groups? I don't think I've ever had anybody invite me to their funeral. (laughs) No, I know, right? But I felt like, you know, marriages or some, like a party, you know, like I wanted to be invited if I'm their friend. Right. Uh, it's not just saying, hello, brother, how are you? And shake hand and give me a hug on Sunday. Doesn't make me <laughs> any comfort. But I, I wanted to be part of their, um, you know, family party, you know. So, like, try to invite them. So mm-hmm. I think someone who is not from your culture, just try to invite them to your social gathering or a party or something. Although, you know, they may look odd <laughs> within your group. But that is where you can show your love to others that, yeah, yeah you, you know, really took that time yeah to I, th- I think one of the things that Manohar is distinguishing here and see part of the, the thing is is that Manohar lives a very disciplined life of ministry and so some of the stuff that he is referring to as friendship is actually him doing ministry so what Lewis would have called charitas or charity mm-hmm. that is sacrificial love mm-hmm. where Love is you put your own needs and desires aside in order for the needs of other people and you serve them, right? And what Manohar, I think, is implicitly arguing is something like this, and you can correct me if I'm putting words in your mouth. Friendship is not just a function of human enjoyment or a love of our choice. Friendship is a fundamental human need. And so, yes, we all want to choose our friends, And we all want to have friends that see the world that we do where we can have these great conversations and Mm -hmm. go on these adventures with. Mm. But at the same time, friendship is a universal human need. And so many people don't have good friendships and are included in friendships. And so charity or sacrificial love like impinges on you and says, you must give a certain amount of friendship as gift. Mm not as something you receive or that is purely symbiotic of mutual enjoyment, but some of your energy for friendship is not, doesn't fall under just your love of friendship, but your energy for friendship is actually hijacked or taken control of by charity. Hmm. And sacrificial love says this portion of friendship, at least in the beginning of the relationship Hmm. must be given simply on principle to the other. Mm -hmm. And Manohar like lives his whole life that way. Mm -hmm. Um, and, but a lot of people wonder, I think, in the church, how do I balance those two things? Can I have friendships that are just for my pleasure, that I just like that person, and that person likes me too, and we just get to enjoy each other? Hmm. And to what extent is friendship pulled into charity that I am to minister with the energy I have to give to friendship and should therefore give it to the one who seems to most need it? rather than to the person to whom I most immediately naturally enjoy. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
I think I, there's something that that you said in there, Nick, that I think is really important is that now this is just from my experiences, but I, I in my experience, those relationships that have started more out of the charitable part, that's not where they live forever. They often, because because part of that is there are now some more shared experiences. Like one of the things that I think is, this is silly, so you can roll your eyes at it if you want to, but like a way to grow in having relationships with people of other cultures is try going to a different restaurant. Like just, hmm. not because you're going to meet people there, but because if you go to it, like forever, I said, I didn't, I was afraid to try Indian food. And it was... I don't, I don't really actually remember how we first tried it, but when I did, I was like, this is amazing. And like, this is something Until that- Until you try it. <laughs> yeah, that with, like, with my Indian friends, I can talk about this food that I really enjoy. And this can now become a shared interest or something we have in common mm. that can just be uh, part of a basis of friendship. But, um, yeah. but, it, but another way to have those types of things grow is when a relationship does start in the phase of, charity it can grow in your mutual uh interests or the things that you like or the way you think because you're talking with them and maybe you see something differently now because of that friendship that maybe started that way so i i think that that's important because otherwise i think you could have either a really entitled or really self-righteous or really cynical view of those relationships which i don't think is healthy well i i mean i have engaged in relationships of charity as friendships and i've also been the recipient of mm-hmm. relationships of charity. I mean, as a pastor, there sure. have been people mm-hmm. who have intentionally become friends with me because they knew I liked to hunt and fish. And they were really good hunters and fishermen. And they took me hunting and fishing. And I did not provide much in return. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I have enjoyed and be, been blessed by those relationships immensely. Right. And I don't think I, at least in a few of them, I don't think I gave back what I got. And I think on some level that person actually did see their relationship with me partly in a charitable view that they were serving me. And I've, and I still felt like it was a genuine friendship, mm-hmm. you know? And, but I, and I always thank them. I would say, listen, I know that part of this is you're just serving me and I'm so grateful for that. And then I've been in relationships where some of it started in the sense of like, I want you to succeed and I enter into a friendship with somebody and it's a real friendship and they know it's a real friendship, but they also know I am in it to see them succeed and they want to succeed. Mm-hmm. And in those situations, I think charity and friendship kind of commingle. Mm-hmm. But I yeah. think I still have this longing to have some relationships where it is just easy. Yeah, actually, I have a few friends at our church who really want to spend time with me. And, you know, recently, just last week, one person took me to a restaurant and literally he spent three hours with me. That is so precious to me rather than just paying for lunch. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, he's kind of listening to me and I feel like he's valuing you know, some of my thoughts. So yeah. it made me mo- so comfortable to share my heart with him. Right. So I can really name like a dozen people from our church who really want to spend time with me and to hear from me and they want to share and they trust me. So this is where, you know, trust and love go together. We share each other's uh, feelings and then, you know, pour our burdens on each other. And then, you know, we sh- this is what it is all about church. You know, mm-hmm. if we don't, 
listen to each other it's not just five minutes thing you know just, okay did i meet it did i give you what you want and is, is there that's not just that spending time intentionally yeah. and listening it's like the way we spend our time with uh, our spouse at home you know we can't put a limit on doing that so mm-hmm. yeah have you had this marriage wise where your wife makes a friend or your husband makes a friend and they want you to be friends with the spouse of the other person and Mm-hmm. Alexi and I have had a dozen false starts on this <laughs> where like she likes this one woman so she wants me to like the husband of that woman <laughs> and I just don't and we have a very hard time finding where we like she likes the woman and I like the man mm-hmm. in a relationship and I, I feel like sometimes that happens like multi-ethnically mm-hmm. like you need this multiple mm-hmm. you're trying to connect on multiple levels and it's difficult yeah well, and no. I think we talked about this not in the podcast, but how uh, in biracial marriages, you're, you there's no out, right? <laughs> and right. like you're you're married to the person, you're committed, you're not getting divorced, and so you just have to learn that person's culture, that person's relation or passions or mm-hmm. what matters to them. Whereas in friendship, it. It is like you just said, Nick, where it's there's a lot of different facets that you're trying to line up and see if they can line up. And if mm. you don't have a sense of I'm committing to this, mm. well, it's too hard. It's mm. I get it. Why people are like, I mean, the you have to be willing to have awkward conversations or embarrass yourself or apologize or forgive someone. And like those are things people don't really want to do. And yeah. if you don't have a sense of commitment like you have in marriage, it's mm. easier to just have those false starts. Yeah, but I also think it is a fairly human thing to want to be in a relationship where you don't have to try that hard. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. I agree. And, But I, I actually don't think that multi-ethnic relationships are, by definition, relationships where you have to try really hard permanently. Mm-hmm. So a lot yeah. of times at the beginning, you got to try some to get sort, some things sorted out. Mm. But like my, one of my best friends in college, Vladimir Joseph, was a Haitian immigrant, African-American, like a black guy. And yeah, it took a little while to sort out some of his idiosyncrasies and probably he, some of mine, but then we had three more years of friendship at school. That was great. And right. the, the cultural differences were always there, but it wasn't, it, it wasn't really difficult. Yeah. And, um, and that's been true for a lot of the, my multi-ethnic friendships mm-hmm. that they weren't that hard once I got oriented but they did take more effort to start. Yeah. So I think if you have the ideological view or the philosophical theological view, I need to periodically start multi-ethnic relationships. Mm. I need to talk to people of other ethnicities. I need to show affection and charitas, right? I need to show sacrificial love and the affection of recognizing that this is my brother and sister in Christ. And I need to just relate with them, mm. treat them like a human being. Then, out of that, you may feel like you should go further, mm-hmm. and a friendship might develop. But after a period of orientation, you may actually find that this person of another culture is just as easy or easier to form a relationship than somebody of your own culture. In fact, one of my daughter's friends, um, her her family's African, like they're African immigrants. 
listen, our values line up with them a lot better than a lot of white families. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I like True. family is absolutely number one. They want their kids to live clean lifestyles. They don't want to have friends they don't trust. Right. Like, there's a lot of things that mm. like we really buy into that they buy into. And so Rachel's friend Eunice is one of the ones she wants to be around with most. Mm-hmm. She loves her dearly. Our families get along. I, ha- I completely trust her parents and right. her family. And yet, they're very different than us. Mm-hmm. But on some of the most important things to me, they're more in line with me than any of my mm. liberal white neighbors. Right. You know? Mm-hmm. So I think being a little open-minded about that can be helpful. And you know, I think Madison has a great potential for multi-ethnic friendships. I mean, because they don't have to really look for people in the shops and elsewhere, where they go for work, where they go to church everywhere where they go to shop, they find someone different than themselves so they can put into practice. If they don't try it today, they will never do it. And they should change that mindset of going um, into something which is going to be troublesome for them. No, it is not going to be. It's mm-hmm. nothing to be afraid of mm-hmm. uh, friendships. And they will one day enjoy. That's what the heaven is going to look like. You yeah. see. Every tongue, every tribe, every nation there. So you don't want to be stranger there if you don't try it here. <laughs> mm-hmm. Thanks for uh, sharing, guys. I think we need to wrap up, but thanks for listening. And uh, we hope that this is helpful for you, um, as, particularly if you're coming to High Point Church, that this is helpful as you think about all these these sermons, these episodes of the podcast. We do believe that there is hope found in Christ to break down walls of hostility and that friendship is one of those areas where we experience it and rub up against it. But we want to see the gospel affect our friendships too. Um So yeah, we'll have more episodes of the Friendship Series and we hope you find them helpful. See you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Engage and Equip podcast. If you've got questions about what you heard today, send them to us at podcast at highpointchurch.org. If you'd like to find more episodes, you can go online to highpointchurch.org slash podcast. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Overcast, and other apps like that. If you love the Escaping Babel series, rate or review us on Apple Podcasts, or even better, share this with a friend so we can continue to reach new listeners. Until next time, thanks for listening to this episode of Engage and Equip.